welcome back to Mojo for the Modern Man. This is your host, Ken Mossman, and today I am delighted to be bringing you Act 2 of my conversation with Rodney Agnant. Now, Act 2 opens with Rodney sharing the gift of having older siblings, in this case, his sister, who went to bat for him that in, in a way that really marked the beginning of the end of, in air quotes, the game that he shared with us in Act 1. And he points to compassion, language, art making, and the way they all weave into tapestries of identity with a shout out to a big bucket of clarity that Jay-Z brought to the table. Rodney invites us to ask incredibly important questions about human beings, about compassion, about potential and greatness. Some great, <laughs> to use a word, to de define a word, some some really great uh, viewpoints and perspectives that Rodney brings in on greatness. He also draws important distinctions between the impossible and the improbable in a way that really challenges us not to conflate the two and to really stay present to the improbable. The conversation closes with Rodney sharing his good work at Colgate University and an invitation to each of us to be agents of positive change. There's, as is so often the case, there's a lot more to this conversation. I'm not going to give you any spoilers. Just a quick reminder before we get into it. If you have not yet, please do subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting service and come by my website. More on that in the notes at the end. And with that, let's go ahead and get into this very cool conversation with Rodney Agnant. Enjoy. So it's so it's interesting, right? Because it's thus far what we've talked about is being in the game and, and playing the game. Yeah. And you know, there's a I imagine that for folks listening, there's this question of, okay, so how do you how do you get out of the game if it's even possible? And one of the gifts is the gift that I had of older siblings who were much older than me, <laughs> who are much older than me. Mm. My my brother is nine years older, my sister twelve and a half years older. And my, I remember my sister negotiating with my parents to allow me to listen to, to rap and saying that the kids around him are listening to it. He's also going to have to learn to discern the difference between the music and the reality of the mm. world. Mm. And she she believed that I was good enough to do it, even if I was really young. Like he can tell the difference. Let him listen to it. And and so that restriction was taken off of me. And I actually believe that that was I didn't know it at the time, but that be that became the beginning of getting out of the game. Because part of the way that the game is set up is is the mythology of blackness the stories the myths that seem to be true that we that we have about black people and i want to say this like the conversation about white and black people is it, sometimes it feels as old as the sun and the moon <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um especially in this in this country and i want to say that there are things about this story that are relevant to the newer questions that we are thinking about when it comes to identity, when it comes to 
gender expression, when it comes to different people's orientations, when it comes to religious identities and uh, interfaith kind of situations. So I want people to hear it, but I want them to hear it in a way where they end up also going, how does this apply to a completely different situation? Mm. Um, so I just wanted to, to, to name that as part of the reason why I would even go into this conversation at such depth. All right, so let me see if I can return to the to the point that I was beginning to make. So yeah, so part of the game is set up is here's here are the stories that we have about black people and the game is set up where the stories stay the same and we we force everyone into navigating around that story. So believing that black people, black men are hyper aggressive and hypersexual, that they're that they're like almost anti-intellectual. Um, and then just navigating things accordingly. So when I am excelling in my first job for someone to say, wow, you you really are special. <laughs> That's that's still playing the game. <laughs> yeah, I'm imagining because it's just the, reinforcing the story. <laughs> and the, the irreverent one in, in me wants to say, "Oh, you know, if I if I were if I were that person saying, oh, by the way, I just watched Birth Birth of a Nation last night, and 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 I want you to know you're different." <laughs> like, Thanks, buddy. You know, <laughs> so carry on. Right, and and I say all of this with compassion because I'm also talking about people who I I deeply care about. And, mm. and I don't, part of beginning to step out of the game, it would be part of the game to even um, really hold this completely against them in a personal way. Mm. Part of beginning to step out of the game is realizing, all right, this is what's set up. This is people doing their best, but they're kind of still stuck in it. And the moments that I can begin to formulate a different story of what's happening is the moment I, I begin to step out of the game. So when I when I started listening to to rap, and thankfully I just have a connection and affinity for words and for language, I started to see that there is some real art that is being made here. Mm -hmm. There are some real moments that are soulful and interesting and intriguing and human that my parents couldn't see from the outside, but. I was getting so deeply invested into it that it was, it, it just became clear to me. It, it gave me a different way of understanding what it means to be black. It gave me a different, listening to Jay-Z, for example, where part of what he does is that he, he compares, he takes these tropes of, of being in the hood and he connects them to the tropes of being a successful business person the tropes of being uh, highly intellectual. Um, like I remember he, he has a line that where he talks about being around really brolic people, like really strong muscular people and having the quiet demeanor of both an assassin and a college student at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> right. So he's making these connections that I'm not that, I think people would not expect that a rapper would, would make that in, in one sentence, in one, in one metaphor um, or how he's talking about his business prowess as a, as a way of making it clear that he's a smart black boy. That's what he literally says in, in his music. So 
though that exposure it it gave me a completely different way of of understanding the situation and i think that was part of my you know going back to what you brought up the sort of culture i think it was culture cures and history heals at, uh, at that yeah, point yes yeah Yep. Yeah. Part part of what's happening is that in this art, I'm I'm being exposed to a, a more present day history that also reflects some of the past history, and I'm beginning to heal my own uh, relationship to blackness, but then also the, my relationship to this country and and in a lot of ways to the world and, and to myself. So, having that healing taking place, that's where I begin to feel liberated because then I get a choice. I get to look at a situation and go, do I need to play the game a little bit in order to survive and and to create connection? Now, all right, I've played the game for about mm, a few days. <laughs> How do I begin to create a new game that's a lot more interesting than what's originally been presented? How can I bring someone on a journey where we get to have a different story about identity overall and not just my identity, but also theirs and who they are as a person. And how can that connection allow us to start living in a world that in some ways feels like it has yet to be, but also it seems like if you could almost imagine that um, our present reality is pregnant with something that could be really beautiful, how might we kind of be able to be present to what could be born if we were to see and experience the world differently. I do hope you're enjoying this conversation with Rodney Agnan and myself. And just a quick reminder, if you have not yet, please do subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting service. Let's dive back in. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. And if you could, again, to give some language to Hmm. the world that you see as possible like this yeah yeah give some give some language to that to the to the world you see as possible yeah the world that i see as possible and just take a moment to see how i can say this clearly yeah take your time I really wonder what would it look like to envision a world where, and if, as people are hearing this, they go, ah, not everyone, then start with as far as you can take this. (laughs) And then a step beyond that. (laughs) What would it look like to envision a world where every human has the potential to demonstrate greatness if we were if that was the story that we were telling as a society as a global society as a national society as a city or town or village depending on what kind of jurisdiction you live in if we were to say that each of these humans has the capacity for greatness and the heart for it how does that shift the way, how does it shift the social infrastructure that we have? What is it like to be, in a, to be teaching in a school where we actually assume 
that all these kids really do want to learn. They might have some, some challenges at home or in their lives that may be creating a sense of distraction um, and even creating a sense of uninterest. But if we know that deep in their hearts, they're actually committed to greatness, how does that shift or transform the way that we support them, the way that we teach them overall? If we, ha- if we look at our medical systems and we begin to imagine maybe these people actually are, the, the patients coming in really are dedicated to their greatness, and maybe they've heard really hard stories about being in the system. Maybe they are fearful. Maybe they've lost people in our healthcare system. Maybe they are fearful of the weight of, of bills that insurance decides not to pay. And that's why it has taken them so long to get here. But we know that in our hearts, they're dedicated to greatness. How does that transform the way that we relate to them? How does that invite compassion? And even to take this even further, how can the way that we look at our prison systems and our criminal justice, how might that change if we begin to envision that each person who is imprisoned by the system is actually dedicated to their greatness? Because there are systems outside of the United States that are doing things totally differently. I can't remember if it's Finland or a different country where they had to begin closing some of their prisons because their prisoners were not coming back. And they have a different notion of what it means to have these people in prison and they want to support them to not need to come back. And that is at the heart of those systems. So, that is the world that I see really truly as possible. And it's probably not one that we're familiar in terms of hearing about it. It often may seem like that is a far off reality that is impossible. And yet so many of the great changes that have happened in our society have been when people made the distinction between what is impossible and what is improbable. Mm. So impossible meaning there's actually 0% chance that something can happen. Improbable means maybe close to zero, but a hair of a chance even. To the point that the great civil rights movement 60 years ago, (laughs) a little bit more than that, they were doing something that probably seemed virtually impossible. If we think it's hard to make racial equity now, imagine back then (laughs) where you had to deal with dogs being sicked on you with the force of a fire hose being put against your body if you're trying to protest and resist, where upon MLK Jr.'s death, his... um, the the rate at which the nation liked him was very low. <laughs> he was not loved upon his death. Yeah, the thought that he would have a uh, a, a federal holiday uh, was not the first thing on everybody's mind, <laughs> say the least. Yeah, yeah. The w- one of the 
pieces that I'm really struck by here. And then, and I think this speaks to the, and I know you know this from, 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 from the work that uh, both you and I do, of course, is that mm -hmm. uh, um, no uh, uh, questions are oftentimes way more powerful than answers. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really taken by, I asked you about your, you know, what, what this world would look like and the, and that you responded with uh, the, just this beautiful uh, 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 set of questions. Mm. And, you know, and, I, and again, I know the way we're, the way we're trained, uh, particularly as men, you know, the way, the way, the way uh, uh, the culture, uh, you know, the, 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 the vision that the culture ho holds for us or chooses to impose the game, I think, uh, 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 to borrow some of your language, the game is, says, "Now go out and develop answers. Go yeah. out and be the yeah. Go out and be the source of answers." Um, which is why I'm, you know, that's what that's just one of the reasons why I'm really taken with your your questions in response to my question. I oh. I don't know if I meant to respond to that at all. No, no, go, go, go ahead. Well, I'm, pay, I'm I, paying attention to the time. We're going to wrap in a couple of minutes, but please do. Yeah. yeah, please. Well, I want to thank you for saying that because as you said that, I'm realizing that there was an inflection moment that happened for me. I think it was within the first year after I graduated college mm. where a lot, a lot of my close friends are are women, just like, I don't know why why that's turned out to be the case, but so be it. And and yet one of the things on my heart was I, I've always wanted to be like the man. Like I, I don't know. I just there's something about that that uh persona that really drew me in uh for a while and has been part of navigating all this. So anyway, so I think part of being of wanting to be the man is also wanting to be powerful. I've always wanted to be a powerful figure wherever I go. And I remember one day I'm I'm really sitting with this because I feel like somehow this is creating some tension between me and and one of my best friends. And we're we're sitting in this car together. I forget where we're going at, at that moment. And finally, I I don't know why, but I turned to her and I I said, you know, I've always wanted to be powerful. And what that's meant to me is. I've always wanted to have all the answers. I've wanted people to come to me and I would have all the answers, but I'm realizing that I don't want to be powerful anymore. Mm. I want, I want to be empowering. And in order to do that, rather than look to have all the answers, I want to have lots of questions. I think honestly, I might have said I want to have all the questions. So all the questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me be truthful. That's what I said. <laughs> yeah, all the questions. All the questions. Yeah. The um. You want the bad news now? <laughs> um. I think that the reason why I hesitated to say it is because I know I can't even get all of that. <laughs> <laughs> but well, but now yeah. I'm okay with that, and I'm so humbled and honored that that could even be a thing that I'm okay with. Yeah. And, and the, the, and you are powerful, of course, you know, I think you know that about yourself. Um, 
And well, boy, if we had more time, we could we could get into a whole conversation about 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 power and mm. um, you know true power, you know, power with versus power over, um, uh, power within versus power applied to to yeah. to, to those outside of oneself. Um, and being in possession of one's own power, which I certainly perceive you as, uh, uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, just in the, in the, in the last few minutes we have here together today, uh, say a word or two about the, the work that you're doing that you've been led to at this point in your life. Yeah, totally. So, I have the joy of working at Colgate University, which is also where I did my studies. So it's beautiful circling back. And I get to work with students, faculty, and staff looking at at leadership in profound ways, um, creating experiences and workshops around that. And outside of my work at Colgate, working as a leadership development coach, working with people who are often in the middle of their careers, or even transitioning between industries and looking to, prof- to to be an empowering coach so that they can see how empowering they are and, and tap into that and, and have a skill set for empowering others as well. That's the work I've been led to. And I feel compelled to say this as we're you know closing out this time here. One of the things I love about this kind of work and about this way of of even seeing the world that we've been talking about over this time is the idea that regardless of of identity, white, black, gendered, religious, whatever it might be, I think each of us might see a game that is set up where there are people who seem like they're meant to lose and where it seems like they are justified in it and like justified to lose because that's Mm. how the the story is set up around it. And there really is this possibility for something different to happen. And I want to say that when it comes to the world of, of social justice and creating a more just and equitable world, these stories forget to account for each of us these stories forget to account for you. And the moment that you decide to begin understanding the game and therefore also stepping outside of it, the moment you start understanding something, you've stepped even just one step beyond it in order to see it, you become a powerful powerful agent, an empowering agent for changing the nature of that game and what we experience. And I really just want to encourage people to begin to explore that because it's such a wonderful opportunity. And I've seen on this campus and beyond it, it's also a great way to discover who you truly are. Mm-hmm. And, and w- w- what, a, what a way to, to, what a note to go out on Rodney, thank you so, so much. Um, in the program notes, uh, there are ways of reaching out to Rodney. And any any last words in closing here? No, I, I am so glad that you that you are doing this podcast and the conversations that get to unfold here. And I'm just so honored 
to get to spend this time with you, Ken. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Likewise. It's been an absolute delight. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me and my guest, Rodney Agnant, here on Mojo for the Modern Man. I do hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I definitely enjoyed it. If you want to learn more about Rodney and his good work, there's links on the notes for this episode. You'll find a link to his website as well as to his LinkedIn profile. And there's also a link by which you can drop him an email. And speaking of emails and links, please come by my website, cirrusleadership.com. That's Cirrus is in the cloud, C-I-R-R-U-S leadership.com. Check out my blog. You can subscribe to my weekly musings, which become my blog, of course. Every episode of Mojo for the Modern Man is there. There's information on my I Am class, the next iteration of which will be launched in Q1 of 2022. And, of course, there's a contact form there. You can reach out to me via email as well. And I look forward to hearing from you. And with that, be well. Make it a great day, and I'll see you back here in another week on Mojo for the Modern Man. Take care.